in any sort of leadership position, right? Your relationship with the people that you are leading is a direct reflection of, of the relationship that you have with yourself. And there's no way around that. And when you can learn to be more compassionate and forgiving of yourself, you're going to in turn be more compassionate and forgiving of the people that you're leading. And that is what creates connection and influence with the people that you're trying to make an impact on in your organization or your team. Hello and welcome to episode 26 of the 50 Cups of Coffee podcast. I am your host, Bobby Audley. This is a show where I have coffee and conversation with some of the best leaders in the world and we talk about culture and connection. On the last episode, I sat down with Mary Beth Highland to talk about mindfulness and purpose in the business world. Today, I chat with Mike Lee about mindfulness and emotional intelligence in sports as well as in business. Through his company Thrive3, Mike Lee has trained some of basketball's 1%, including three-time NBA champion and two-time MVP Steph Curry, three-time NBA All-Star Joel Embiid, and Rookie of the Year Malcolm Brogdon. Today, Mike helps high-performing leaders in business master the psychology needed to lead and perform in what he calls a 2020 world, and I think you can figure out what he means by that. As we are headed into the winter months, as we are kind of getting used to what what COVID-19 is has created for, for our world and our lives and, and created our what we continue to call our current new normal, and as we experience experience, uh, uh, you know, heck with this week coming up with, with an election coming up and who knows when the results will, will be known, whichever side of that you're on. Um, there's a lot of anxiety. There's a lot of stress. There's a lot of just people, you know, wrapped up in this. And, and so I thought Mary Beth and then Mike right now are perfect guests to talk about mindfulness and emotional intelligence and what you can be doing to, to, to ensure that you are, are at your best. One of the awesome things Mike is doing right now, just like Mary Beth, is he's creating virtual solutions for your meeting, for your resilience training, for your own personal coaching. And I encourage you to check out MindShiftLabs.com to learn more about what Mike is doing right now. Back when I did this interview, right before the interview, I did a, uh, um, I went through a, a session with Mike, I'll call it that. We get into it on the episode, and so he can share more about exactly what I did and, and what he led me through. And again, I just, similar to Mary Beth, I like to know what I'm, what I'm doing if I'm going to interview someone for the podcast. And so um, I did a workshop with Mike, and it was, it was awesome. It was, it was awesome. And I know, yeah, obviously, if I have a guest on, I'm sitting here saying that what I did with them was awesome, and I wouldn't have them on if, if it wasn't if it wasn't worthwhile. I've certainly done a lot of stuff, and if I don't like it, I don't walk away and say, hey, you want to be a guest on my show? So I, I loved the, the session that Mike did. I took a lot of value from it, and 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 for that reason, I said, you know what, let's uh, let's hop on the podcast, let's chat, and let's let's share what you're doing with, with our listeners here, with you. So MindShiftLabs.com, to check out what Mike is doing, and to learn more about Mike himself, enjoy this episode. 
If you are enjoying the show, again, please hit subscribe right now. Hit subscribe where you're listening. Just, just you know, if you're driving, do it later. But if you're just kind of in your in your office, in your in your home, in your bedroom, and and working and, and listening to this episode, reach over, hit subscribe. Uh, when you have the time, please leave a rating and review. That is the best way to help this 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 show grow and continue to reach more people. I am just so excited with the success and growth it's had so far. And if you could hit subscribe, leave a rating and review, it'll continue the growth. And, and, and that's the best way to help us out. For now, please enjoy my cup of coffee with Mike Lee. In the beginning, in 2003, I built this basketball camp with a buddy of mine in our uh, small town, central Wisconsin. The first year we had about 100 kids that showed up. Second year we were around 200 and the third year we were around around 300 kids. And because people had been coming to this camp, they also wanted us to start an AAU program because at the time the kids had to travel three, four hours just to play on a, a competitive AAU program. So we ended up building this AAU program that was not what most were doing at the time. Most were just taking kids to tournaments and they're running practices. We wanted to develop a comprehensive development program that was somewhat like a kid would experience if they played at a high major division one college where they're getting individual player development, film breakdown, along with being able to play in these competitive uh, tournaments against some of the, the best players in the country. So these camps along with the AAU program were really the foundation of what we built. And we started this in a really working with just kids in, in super, super small towns in, in northern Wisconsin, which is basically the, the rural, rural area of, uh, of the state. And we were able to, we, our goal was to brought, provide them with skills and tools and resources and experiences to help them achieve their dreams of playing college basketball or playing high major division one basketball or even playing in the NBA. There's some kids that, that played in the program that are now playing in the NBA. And so that was really initially how it started because I had coached a year in college and I realized that that just wasn't what I wanted to do. I wanted to work with, I only wanted to work with the kids that, that had these huge big dreams that they were trying to achieve and be a catalyst as uh, someone in their life to help them come to life. So that was really the first few years. And then I gave that program up because I really just wanted to focus on training and, and just focus on the player development side and ended up moving from a small town in Northern Wisconsin to Milwaukee, which I thought was the biggest place in the world at that time. I think I was 25, 26 years old. And that's where things really started to grow because uh, I didn't, really know this analogy at the time, but one thing that Tony Robbins talks about all the time is proximity is power. And because I was in, in Milwaukee, which was the, by far the biggest city in, in the state of Wisconsin, I, was, I had access to guys that played at Marquette and coaches that, that were at Marquette and got introduced to people from the Milwaukee Bucks and everything just kind of grew from there because it was the proximity is power is, is so true because nobody, you know, if nobody knows what you're doing, you can be the best, best basketball trainer in the world. You can be the best speaker in the world. You can be the best at anything in the world. But if nobody knows about what you're doing, uh, 
you don't really exist to the rest of the world. And so that was a huge, huge opportunity for us to grow. And then it just kind of grew through content. We built the business off the back of Twitter and YouTube back in 2006, 2007, 2008. And that really helped us reach really a, a global audience. I mean, we put out a, a book called The Blueprint, which was essentially our, our training guide with everything that we were teaching. And that's been e either purchased or downloaded by people from literally all across the world. I think 40, 50 different countries people have, have downloaded this drill book, essentially a, a manual for coaches and players on how to improve their game. But that was really how everything started and evolved over and that's really what it was over the past 15 years running working with players and running camps literally across the country from running a, a working with a pro team in indonesia to high school programs all across the united states to launching an academy in barcelona mm -hmm. and, and that was that was really the the past 15 years and Everything changed drastically when I just made a decision about five years ago to spend a winter in Los Angeles. I, I battled with depression my entire life. And finally, it just got to a point back in 2014 where I just decided that I wasn't going to live through a Wisconsin winter anymore. And because I, I used to get, like many people, I used to be heavily affected by the, the winters, by the lack of sunlight, it's called seasonal affective disorder. And I knew that being in the sunlight based on previous experiences was really beneficial for me. What I didn't realize was that decision to move to LA for six months purely for the weather would shift a million things in my life. Uh, because of that decision. I, I moved out to LA. It was still doing all the, ba you know, all the basketball stuff. I moved out uh, 2014. It was January. It was sunny out. I was feeling great. And I decided to get off this, this antidepressant medication that I had been on to help me get through the, the winters in Wisconsin. And getting off this medication was like getting off of heroin. It was insane what I went through trying to uh, taper off this medication over the course of 10 months. It just threw my body and my mind into a state of chronic emotional instability. I would go from laughing to crying to anxiety to depression all within a couple hours. And at the slightest sign of stress that really this showed up in my work life was I would feel the fear as if I was in the middle of the woods in the middle of the night surrounded by a pack of hungry wolves with nothing to defend myself and the rage that you might experience if you saw a loved one murdered in front of you in cold blood. And I know that might sound graphic to the people that are listening, but that's the only way that I could describe it was those two emotions, uh, that rage and that, uh, that rage and that fear would just go rushing through my body at the slightest sign of stress because <clears throat> I felt like my, because of the, the getting off this medication, I almost felt like my nervous system was lit on fire. It was just crazy. Uh, my inability to 
manage stress. And so I knew that if I was going to successfully get off of this medication, I needed to do something different. And I, I needed a tool. I needed some exercises some strategies to help me win this battleground that had been created in my mind. Cause that's what I felt like every day was that I was going to war on my mind. And I picked up a mindfulness practice. I committed to it on a daily basis and it, it changed everything in my life. I, I realized after a couple months of a consistent practice that all the skills that I've been teaching in the basketball space from getting players to focus more, to getting them to improve their, their mental toughness, to being able to perform under pressure, or from a leadership perspective, running this little basketball business that I had, uh, developing relationships and connections with employees and just developing the ability to, to just listen and to ask the right questions and, and have empathy and compassion were all elevated when I had a, had a dove into this mindfulness practice. And that's because just like when somebody goes on a lifting program or training program or an athlete lifts, you see physical evidence of change in your body, right? An athlete lifts and their muscles break down and they elongate and they grow back stronger. Well, when you have a, a consistent mindfulness practice, there are areas of your brain that change as well. There's an area in the front called the neocortex, which is responsible for things like your, like your executive function. So your self-awareness and your decision-making and your focus, that area in your brain actually grows. There's an area in the back that's called the amygdala. And that area is responsible for your fight, flight, or freeze response, your stress response. That area actually shrinks and, and gets slightly smaller in your brain, uh, making you less reactive to stress. And so when we're less reactive to stress, the stimulus and the distractions and the events in our, in our environment, we are uh, more focused on the task at hand. We're more present. And so I realized that all these skills that I have been teaching, well, just trying to get people to focus on them. Well, now there was an actual strategy, an ex actual exercise that people, people could do to in intentionally cultivate these skills. And I wanted to get this information out of the world because I didn't know that anybody was even, even uh, doing this at the time. Mm -hmm. And so that was really where the next phase of my life was, was born out of was this incredible adversity going through this medication withdrawal to now teaching individuals and organizations how to level up their, their resilience, their leadership, their performance with bridging these worlds of my basketball experience working with some of the highest performing basketball players in the world with meditation, mindfulness, and emotional intelligence, uh, bridging those together to help individuals and organizations unlock their potential. And you were, when you talk about the, um, the, the symptoms you were going through when you got off the medication, you were literally experiencing withdrawal, correct? Because you are no longer taking, is that what it was because you're no longer taking this medication? 100% that's what it was. Okay. I could dive into that and go down a whole nother, another path and story, but 100% yeah. that's what it was. And it was difficult because 
nobody in the medical space really talks about it. I saw three different psychiatrists and they told me that the reason I was experiencing those things was because I was stopping taking the medication and that's what the medication was for. What they didn't understand was that what I was experiencing was a hundred times worse than what I had experienced just with depression. I mean, it was night and day, not even close to uh, what I, what I experienced getting off medication. So yeah, I mean, 100% it was withdrawal symptoms. I mean, I would read articles about the only thing that I really could get any information on was some other people telling their own stories about it through writing blog posts or things like that. And the heroin, uh, the heroin description that I came up with was because I had read somebody else, uh, somebody else's blog post about it. And they talked about getting off the same medication that I was on. And they said that I was addicted to heroin and getting off of Effexor, which is the medication that I was on was worse than me trying to detox from heroin. And that's when I, that's, that was when I was like, holy, I don't know if I can swear on here, but I was like, yeah. I, I was, that's really when I, I was able to give myself permission to stop being so hard on myself during this, this period that I was going through and really was able to start to learn how to practice self-compassion and forgiveness because what I was going through was literally what somebody who was addicted to heroin was going through. And so that just put everything in perspective and gave myself the permission to practice self-compassion and forgiveness, which ultimately uh, is something that I'm, I'm definitely teaching now because I think if you're, whether you're in any sort of leadership position, right? Your relationship with the people that you are leading is a direct reflection of, of the relationship that you have with yourself. And there's no way around that. And when you can learn to be more compassionate and forgiving of yourself, you're gonna in turn be more compassionate and forgiving of the people that you're leading. And that is what creates connection and influence with the people that you're trying to make an impact on in your organization or your team. Mm -hmm. That's beautiful and hundred percent true. I hundred percent agree. Um, so you, you, you go through this, um, you know, transformation or experience or whatever in your own life, mindfulness, uh, you were seeking out tools, seeking out a solution and, and you find this mindfulness practice that that you i love how you talk about the consistency of it because you, when you and i first talked you asked me if i had any experience with mindfulness or breathing or anything like that and i laughed and i said yeah i got experience with it and an experience with it is um using an app for a guided meditation or experiencing meditation through yoga or experiencing um you know i, I went to a tony robbins which i went to upw unleash the power then and he certainly does some things through there, you know, uh, and, um, what I, my mind has been opened up to the power of consistency because my sister for years, I'm very stiff physically. I've torn both my Achilles tendons during a time where I was in relatively good shape and still active. It wasn't like a weekend warrior type activity that did it. Um, and, uh, I've always been very stiff. And so my sister has always been encouraging me to do yoga. 
And I would always do yoga via an app on the road or just whatever. And I've told you the story before, but when I started going to uh, like an actual yoga studio and an in-person yoga class by someone who really is good at what they do, I walked away after one class and I, I came home with my wife and I said, I go, I've never done yoga before. Like, yeah. cause this is entirely different and yeah. it has been entirely different. And ironically, and this, this was really recently that I finally found this. And, and so it's funny because now during this time I'm back on the app <laughs> because it's the only way to get it. But right. um, I've really come to appreciate the difference and the consistency of going as often as I can, ideally weekly, and and just someone who really knows what they're doing and diving into a really effective practice. And so your that one Zoom session I did with you of that mindfulness experience, that was tremendously profound. Um, is that the practice? So that's part of what you do. Is that the practice you teach? Is that, I guess we, we could talk about that. I really just want to kind of unpack, you know, mindfulness is a word that's thrown around a lot now. Yeah. What does it mean to you and what are you teaching is really what I'm trying to get at. So we can talk about specifically what I did or we can go in a different direction if you think it'd be more helpful. Well, I'll answer both questions. So yeah, you're right. Mindfulness is 100% a buzzword. It's been for a while and it's very, I think misunderstood by most people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what I mean by that is what I have found is that a lot of people associate mindfulness with just any sort of training that is done with the mind. And that's not even close to being accurate. Uh, mindfulness, I'll just define it real quick because these things are all related and it'll kind of clear up some confusion, I think, for a lot of people and give them just a different perspective as to what these practices can do and how you can apply them to your life and kind of take some of the uh, confusion out of it and also the 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 woo -woo stuff out of it Mm -hmm. so there's three things that are that are thrown around a lot and they're all they can all kind of get um get mashed together and that's mindfulness meditation and emotional intelligence all three of those things and they're all related so the way i define it is this Mindfulness is the skill or the ability to create the awareness of your thoughts, your feelings, and your actions in the present moment. Meditation is simply an exercise to cultivate that higher level of awareness. And then emotional intelligence is really the the key to all of it. And that is creating awareness of what is driving your thoughts, your feelings, and your actions. And so they all play off each other. They're all different uh, aspects of of being a a more aware and high-impact transformational leader, but they're all definitely different. I think uh, mindfulness is, you know, being more aware is great. It's the first step to transformation of any area of our lives. If we don't have awareness... We don't know what to change. And if we can't create changes, then nothing improves. So we have to start to operate with that level of awareness. Well, how do you do that? You do that by training your mind through meditation. And there'll be a lot of places that teach mindfulness through different exercises that you can do without uh, meditation practice. 
And in my experience, while those, those might be helpful, more, they're more so helpful on a surface level. You're not really going to create transformational awareness without consistent, consistent attention and awareness training through meditation. You're just not going to reach that, that deep level. And so meditation is, you know, it's, it's simply training for your mind is, is all it really is. It's an exercise to train your mind. So those are, those are really the three, uh, the three buckets that, that I use as pillars for some of the programs that I teach and then bring in the more, uh, I wouldn't say traditional performance aspects but the but the 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 focus areas from my sports background in that that aspect so there's that what you did i don't really do in the in the corporate space um it's a practice that has transformed my life personally uh, that I, I started doing purely because I knew it was a, it's a practice to, um, it's a deep practice. It's deep work. It's not for, it's definitely not for everybody, but the people that it's for, it's definitely for, and they're going to have great experiences with it. Uh, mm -hmm. It's a practice called breath work. And that is, you know, as, as you had with had with the the experience, it can be a um, it can be a extremely powerful transformational experience that connects you to different aspects of yourself that you maybe were not aware of. It can help you get deep into your subconscious. Uh, it can help you shed the limiting beliefs and imprints. So you, that we've been carrying around that have been uh, imprinted on us from society, from the content we consume to how we were brought up to uh, the relationships that we've had and the experiences we've had, just kind of shed a lot of the stuff that isn't true and bring us back to our authentic self. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it was um, not well, 100%, you know, part of what, what encouraged me to do, first of all, we were doing the podcast and I wanted to know more about what you do. And then when we had our first conversation, you know, we were talking about mindfulness and, and breathing. And I could tell by the way I talked about my, and maybe I'm projecting this, but this is what I gathered when I was, when I talked about my experience with breathing techniques and meditation, I could tell there was a, a tone in your voice that said, <laughs> you, 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 like you, you, what you do is so much, not, not in an arrogant way, in a way of like, ah, I get it, you've experienced it, and there's just such another level. And it's not, it's not about one is better than the other, it's just the reality of what you said, a deep practice. And yeah. you know, we do, I shared this with you via the email, we do, our work is technically, if you wanna put it in a very easy, definable box, we do team building and we do personal growth and development, if you wanna put it in a definable box. And anytime people say to us like, oh yeah, like we've had, 
someone before do right. you know this activity with us or that activity with us ryan and i will kind of like eh, okay sure sort of like that's kind of what we do but it's not yeah. you know and it's, it's hard to really explain what you're doing so i said this to my wife before i was doing it she said what are you doing tonight and i said this breathwork thing this guy mike i've been talking to and she go what is it all about i go i honestly have no idea but <laughs> i could tell that it that like there's something to it and I almost heard myself when Ryan and I were saying to coaches or people hey, like just give it a try just try it and when we know it'll it'll be a good fit and and so you know sure enough it was it was really profound it was really uh just a phenomenal experience and for me I shared this with you via email you know we went I forget at this rate what at the end of the practice, you know, you went through kind of reflective moments of, of moments of achievement or moments of pride or moments of, of whatever. And uh, I said to you, when it came to thinking about the future, I, it was like blank at first. Like I couldn't think of anything. And in that moment, I was like, yeah, this is it. Like this is my current personal struggle is like what I, I've always been super clear about the next 5, 10, 15 years, what I want to accomplish. Because everything for me has always been about that in, in many right. ways of, of accomplishing in business or in, in sports or you name it. And and I, in the moment of, of this reflective moment, I kind of was like, no, like that, there's no, there's no way that's true. There's no way like I got nothing that I'm looking towards in the future. And that's when I, as I shared with you, I thought about being a dad, which my wife and I have talked about wanting to have kids. And it was odd because not that I don't like, I'm not such a workaholic that I don't, I've never thought about that, but like it was in, I never considered that being a future aspiration or goal because I've always been so work focused. And so even that kind of reality and reflection, that was really just comforting and, and clarifying. And like you said, tapping into that subconscious, uh, it was just, it was, it was a cool experience that I didn't anticipate having. I went into that just open to whatever it was and, uh, and it was really cool. That's awesome. I'm glad you had a good experience. It's, yeah. Definitely different every time that you do it. And, you know, it's, it's not for everybody. Like you have to be open enough to let the experience be what it is for you and trust that that's what you're supposed to experience at that time. And do people have to have experience with any, like, is it important if someone has prior experience with meditation or mindfulness or breathing or anything like that? I mean, um, or can this be someone's first experience with this, with this world? I definitely think it can be somebody's first experience as long as they're open to whatever the experience is going to be. It's, yeah. But I definitely think it is because one thing that, that I think even, you know, this is, I wouldn't say this is surface level, but I guess more, even if they don't have an experience like you had, it's like so many people will pick up a uh, meditation practice and they'll try it one, you know, they'll try it once or twice and they say, oh, I just don't get it. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think if you, if you look back to your, uh, your experience that you had with breath work, after you go through the breathing of the five songs, and then there's that one song where it's the rest song mm -hmm. and you just are kind of there. For a lot of people, that's the first time that they've ever truly experienced their analytical brain just shut off and they're just fully in the present moment. And 
It's similar to getting a great workout in and you kind of have that runner's high afterwards, but it's definitely, it's different. It's like, that's the only way to des- that you can possibly describe it, but it doesn't really describe it. Mm-hmm. And, but that is just for people who are interested in, in experiencing meditation and the, the, the presence of meditation and what, what people maybe would describe to them as, as their experience, that's a, that part of the practice alone would give you an idea of what a consistent practice, just a regular mindfulness practice could do for you if you committed to it consistently. Mm-hmm. And while yeah. you know, I, the whole, you know, the, the point of a meditation practice is like the goal is to just completely drop the goal and there's nothing. Um, but if there is one, that's, that is the one, and that will give you an experience as to what it is. Yeah. So that's the, the, you know, the breath work practice, like you said, is pretty, that's the deep, uh, level work. Yeah. What are you teaching when you work with a company or an organization? Um, what, what do you teach to those individuals? As far as strategies? Yeah. Strategies. So like, is that what you're teaching? Are you teaching just, are you teaching them? about mindfulness are you teaching them strategies is your work beyond mindfulness in that space um what is it you bring to an organization so i use mindfulness and the sports performance principles as a foundation those are really the two two buckets or the two pillars that that i have built everything around and so built on top of that is leadership is resilience and and is performance. And those are really the three categories. If you're going to look at it from a, from a categorical standpoint, those are the three categories that, that I'm working under. Uh, And I guess, you know, this is super relevant. So I'll I'll just, I can just give a quick overview of one uh, program that I take people through. It's a program called 60 second resilience. And this is a process that I put together based on my experience getting off of the the antidepressant medication I was on. And it's really, I I realized after a while that there were, I had been practicing these different steps and I organized them into a, a, essentially a strategy or a five-step process in order to help people cultivate resilience. And I realized that I was, I was using these and this is, these were practices that helped me tremendously get off of this medication that I was on. And so when you first start doing the practice, it's, you're definitely not going to get through it in 60 seconds, but it's just like anything else that when you practice it, it, they become more almost automatic subconscious ways that you are are thinking about things that you re, ways that you respond to events in your life so the the five steps are number one awareness the second step is a practice of non-resistance the third step is surrender the fourth step is forgiveness and the fifth step is staying future focused and so real quick uh 
we kind of already talked about self-awareness, but like awareness is, is the foundation for everything. Awareness is the first step to transformation, right? You have to operate with a level of awareness. And I think that's one of the, one of the biggest barriers to people developing resilience is they have a lack of self-awareness and they allow their, their lives or their businesses or the way they lead to be driven by their emotions. And until we are, until we have awareness that our emotions are driving certain decisions and the way that in certain relationships, we're unable to detach from them, pull the emotion out of them, get objective. And only then can we really make decisions with intention and make decisions with clarity uh, that are in alignment with our values and how we want to lead. Right? So we, we have to level up that awareness. Second, second step is non-resistance. And that's simply just uh, to stop resisting what is in the moment so that we can get clarity. Like, for example, I was in major resistance to uh, everything that happened when everything's, you know, everything went on lockdown in LA and all my speaking events were canceled. And everything, every source of income that I had was canceled six, you know, six weeks ago, five weeks ago, six weeks ago, right? And I was in major resistance to that. But until I moved to a place of non-resistance, I wasn't able to open myself up and have the awareness of what opportunities were presenting themselves during this time because I was in so much resistance to it. And we... Lots of times when we're, when we're in resistance to what is going on, it's, you know, we, we complain, we blame others, we numb ourselves out through uh, diving, you know, deep into to exercise or to even like a spiritual practice can be used to escape your current reality. Like you have to use the awareness to kind of step back and then get clarity onto what is going on in, in this situation. So that's the second piece is to create that, that uh, or to practice non-resistance because whatever we resist persists, it's only gonna come back with more energy. So that, that, that's the second step. The third step is surrender. And that's simply releasing our attachment for our, our need for something to be a certain way. And I think that's something we can all practice right now. There's, it's something that we can all release our, our attachment to from maybe we lost our job, but we're not open to the fact that maybe this was supposed to happen and something greater is going to come along for us. Uh, maybe there's a lesson that we're supposed to learn during this time. Maybe uh, that there's something that is we're going to learn during this time that, that we're going to be able to go out and teach other people. Right. So the, the surrender aspect, I think we can all, all practice right now. Uh, fourth step is forgiveness. And that's really just forgiveness to me is releasing ourselves from the past until we forgive we're trapped in the past and regret and guilt and shame, whatever it is, or we're trapped in the past of the, the negative emotions of some sort of relationship, whether that's maybe with an employee or with uh, a, a partner or a, 
romantic relationship. But is it forgiveness of self? Is it forgiving yourself or forgiving others? Or is it just forgiving? In, in, or am I trying to put it into a box and it's really just forgiveness of, of all things? Well, I think it's both. Okay. It's definitely forgiving other people, but it's also forgiving yourself. And I think that's, for me, I forgive people really easily, but I'm, I don't, I'm not very good at forgiving myself. Mm. And kind of like I talked about earlier with the self-compassion and the forgiveness, how I show up in the world is a direct relationship with the, or direct reflection of the relationship that I have with myself. The most important relationship that you will, I will ever have is not with our wife, not with our business partner, not with our employees, not with the people that we lead. It's the relationship that we have with ourselves because that shows up, uh, in every other relationship that we have. And so learning to, to forgive ourselves is one of the, I think that's one of the most selfless leadership practices that, that you can implement because your, I've already talked about it, you know, your ability to impact and influence is directly related to your own emotional state. And yeah. if we just keep stuffing that stuff down, further and further and further, eventually it's going to blow up into something big. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's a four step forgiveness. And the last step is just being future focused. And to me, that's about two things. Number one, it's about vision. Maybe your vision is new, uh, depending on, on the circumstances that you're in right now. Um, but I think there's also something to be said about, about holding the belief of your vision, regardless of your circumstances. I think there's, there's definitely something to be said about your ability to do that and maintain folks on that. I think it's also about optimism. So those, those two things, vision and optimism. And just because the bottom line is, if we don't believe that our future is gonna get better, it's not gonna get better. We have to have that, that sense of optimism um, because without it, we're not going to be able to, to make any progress. And going back to, I love the four steps, um, 60 second resilience. That's what this program uh, that's five, called. Five, five, five steps. Five. Oh, what I said for five steps. Yeah. Um, and, um, uh, my question is when you mentioned, yeah. um, you know, I think awareness, like you said, we've talked about non-resistance. You described really well um, forgiveness and, and kind of staying future focused. We talked about, but when we think about that surrender idea, surrendering uh, that maybe, you know, things aren't going to pan out the way you had planned or something like that. Yeah. I find that is where, um, in my experience, that is where most people have the biggest challenge of maybe they hear that, they understand it but how do you get someone to really practice it and embrace it? Um, so do you have any advice there in terms of if the struggle is the surrender piece? Yeah, uh, a couple things. Number one, I think it's super important to keep in a perspective that it's insane to think that everything's gonna always go your way or even 70% of the time, 80% of the time, when there's 7.7 .7 billion other people on the planet having thoughts and demonstrating behaviors and actions in their life that in some way, shape or form are probably affecting your, uh, your world. 
not directly, but like if you believe in the butterfly effect, right, right. where every little action that somebody takes is all influencing everything that's going on in this world, it's insane to think that like everything is gonna, um, everything is going to, to, to pan out the way that we think it should. And just I think right. that perspective is, is super important, knowing that you're just one incredibly small piece of a hyper-connected world that's all influencing each other. I think that's super important to, to keep in mind and uh, your, um, and your ability to, to surrender. I also think that this is, this is important to remember that this is also not about laying down your weapons and not putting in the work and definitely it's not about playing the victim role, right? This is about more so when I talk about surrender, it's about I'm going to put in the work. I'm going to focus on the process, but I'm going to surrender the outcomes. I'm going to detach from the outcomes and let them show up how they're going to show up. Because at the end of the day, and I'm sure you teach this, teach this as well, is that you know, we can't control outcomes. We can influence them to a certain extent, but we can't control them. And so surrendering the outcomes, uh, I think is a, is a great practice because then we can emotionally detach from what we hope is gonna happen in the future. I just talked about it today with a coach um, of a soccer team that we worked with for the past season and still are working with and, and now, now doing our workshops via Zoom. And their, you know, their particular team, he's been there for three years and they're the only program at the school that has not won a conference championship. And so he has really built his program around this goal and, and, and in a fine way. He's a coach who is all about personal development and growth and team and culture and all this, all this stuff. And, um, but their kind of rallying cry this year became um, get the plaque on the wall because every other team at the school has a plaque on the wall except for them. And they ended up having, and, and throughout the year, I was very conscious of saying what you're saying, like we are not outcome focused, right? We are not, this is not for the outcome. That's a rallying cry that, that gets us going awesome. And everything we're teaching here is not, for that outcome and they end up losing in the championship game or semis I think by by like it was double double overtime PKs it was soccer game so I ended up being PKs literally you know the coach described it I wasn't able to be there but the ball just didn't bounce their way that is literally like he's a critical coach and he's willing to say like this one ball didn't bounce our way and it was a cool to see a coach at such a high level kind of wrap it up that way and to see a team they were certainly disappointed um and they had such a level head about the entire experience such positivity the seniors went out on a high and and they go into this off season which is now rocked by by this coronavirus and having to be at home with such a phenomenal state that for me as a as a coach and facilitator in this moment you know I preach not being outcome focused because that's what I believe. And I don't want any, anyone going into this thinking what we teach you is going to get you wins and losses and to watch a team lose, not get the outcome they wanted and, and really walk away from the season happier and more celebratory than teams that I've seen win the national championship uh, just kind of proves all this stuff. Like it's, it's the surrender mentality sure is helpful now when many of us are in our lowest of lows, 
but it also like maintain that even in your highest of highs of don't get too high when you do get that championship or that business sale or that close and walk away and think that it was all about you and you just rocked right. it you know have right. the humility then to acknowledge that there's a little bit of luck and the ball bouncing my way at this time and so that's definitely as a facilitator specifically when i started working with athletics i have embraced that at a much higher level because um, I think you can really go down the rabbit hole if you are just chasing outcomes in wow. anything, but specifically in sports. 100%. Yeah. So I like that. Um, I wanted to ask, where was it? Um, so is that your, is that you, we talked before we hit record about your digital package that you're sending out to folks on resilience. Is that part of that? What we just walked through? Yeah, I'm sending it out to anybody that's affected by Corona from the standpoint of they I shouldn't say affected by it, but but example, healthcare space. I'm sending it out to every hospital association in the country that is uh, providing resources for their their members. Uh, any nonprofits that are uh, on the front lines helping people out, whether it's with with homeless shelters or whatever it is to help people uh, through this time, sending out to all of them for free. And it's a, uh, a 15 minute video with some of the concepts, an audiobook, an ebook, and a meditation, a guided meditation that they can all have access to during this time. And then for companies that wanna offer it to their employees, there's a, three different options this is a 30, 30 minute session, a four week session and an eight week session that covers these concepts so they can take them and apply them in their lives and at work. Mm -hmm. And how do people reach out to you, contact you, find you if they have interest in that? You just reach out on our website. You can just email me directly, mike at mindshiftlabs.com. Okay, awesome. Um, I have, uh, I have one last question that I'll, that I'll ask you kind of re regarding connection and the 50 cups of coffee uh, yeah. theme of the podcast. But um, other than that, uh, I had a bunch of bullet points and you really hit all of them uh, in, the, in, the, in the kind of journey and story you shared and, and uh, kind of walking through that. Is there anything else you want to share in terms of the work you're doing in terms of, uh, uh, you know, I think the the package sounds like a great thing for people to get their hands on if they want some stuff right now during this time um, but is there any anything else you want to make sure you share i guess the only other thing that i would share is especially now like if anything that i talked about today resonated with you and you think that i can help in any way feel free to reach out and connect with me on linkedin instagram both at who is mike lee go on my website mindshiftlabs.com uh, just drop me a drop me a message, email me, and you know I'll do whatever I can to help you out. Awesome, thank you. Um, I also before I get to my last question, I have two questions that if you don't have a good answer for, I'll just cut them. Um, so don't no pressure there. Um, but I noticed on your your basketball website, um, number one, you had a it said you had attended or had a scholarship or something for the Coach K Leadership Conference. What was that? <laughs> I, was, I went I went back I dug into the basketball website <laughs> um yeah I mean it's more so I mean the, the real story is this so 
Um, I don't know how I found out about the conference. This is like 15 years ago now. I'm like 20, 22, I think maybe. I think I was still maybe even, I think I was still in college actually. Anyways, found out about this conference. I don't remember how or why. And I just, I wanted to go. And it was like, I don't know. It's, it was a, you know, it was a business conference for like corporate leaders. Like this conference was like, three, four, five, six thousand dollars to go to this thing, right? Oh wow. So I just and this is one of the things about being young and being naive that I think is so awesome. Um I just reached out to one of the the, the directors or somebody who was involved in the conference and I said, hey, um just curious if you guys offer any nonprofit scholarships for your conference thinking, you know, there's no way that I'm going to get anything. And she emails me back like immediately. And she said, Oh yeah, one of our, our, uh, one of our attendees that we were sponsoring just dropped out. They can't make it. She's like, send me your nonprofit, um, send me your nonprofit, like status verification and, and you're in. Wow. <laughs> and I'm like, so the and and so that was my scholarship to the to the conference That's so there wasn't really like i mean technically i just because i put it on there because a it's duke it's coach k it's about leadership and it's i technically i got it but like i didn't do anything special to get it i mean I, I, did you I, did you uh, did coach k teach at the conference was it his thing yeah, or was it just oh, his name gave, on it? yeah he gave a keynote and like he signed a book and said hi to me. I have a picture with him somewhere. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was like, it was an incredible experience because I just met, uh, you know, I, I was like by far the youngest person there. This is all like, I mean, I'm like 22, 23 years old. Everybody there is at least like 40, 45, 50, all in like leadership positions and these companies are like, have, it was awesome. It was awesome. Um, but yeah, it was like, that is, I didn't do anything to get that scholarship. I mean, I was, I was an executive director of a nonprofit of this basketball organization that I had. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I didn't really, it's not like I submitted some. No, I think that's honestly. Story uh, or anything, but. Um, honestly, that's a perfect, uh, that, that could have counted as your 50 cups of coffee story, in my opinion, because that's the kind of stuff I try to con continue to encourage, and especially young people, like you said, there's a certain naive, like a naivete, I guess, right, that you have of just reaching out to these groups and organizations and, and also just going to something, and, uh, and, and there's just so much that can be found from just asking. You know, most, I find the more transparent people are, about their experiences, the less profound things really are, which is a really cool thing to learn. Yeah. When, when, when everything is built up as this incredible thing, I think a young person might look at that and think, well, I'm never going to be able to do that. It's right. like, no, you don't understand. I literally just called and, and kind of got lucky. Again, a moment of the ball bouncing the right way that someone had dropped out and this, this seat was open for you. So yeah. that's really cool. Well, this is super relevant on the topic of being naive, but I think this would be super helpful for anybody that's anybody that's listening right now, maybe dealing with some, you know, I mean, everybody's dealing with adversity right now, but one thing I wanted to share was I was talking to a buddy of mine the other day 
He's a speaker. He used to be an executive, uh, both with some NFL teams and NBA teams. And he was uh, basically like the sales sales director for uh, a lot of these teams. Anyways, we're both about the same age, and and I I was thinking about this, and I was thinking about, or we were we we're having a conversation around this, how we both got out of college, and within you know a couple of years, the two thousand eight recession hit, and we were talking we were talking about how it was such an advantage for us at that time to be young and naive, and. And I, what I mean by that is we didn't have any experience with the previous recession. So I, for me, I just, I simply didn't pay attention to it. And I just ran my business as normal. I, that was the year that I cut out watching the news. I have not watched. I used to watch Anderson Cooper every single night before I went to sleep because I, my grandpa used to do that. He, I don't know, he watched uh, uh, whatever it was on ABC. I don't know, whatever he was watching. But I was like, well, this is what you're supposed to do when you're an adult. You're supposed to watch news and be informed. Not yeah. knowing that that is just constantly feeding your negativity bias that's already there because you, you're operating your life with a brain that's 2 million years old and it's pre-wired to seek out fear and negativity. Ooh. And creating awareness around what you allow into your, what you're feeding your mind with every day is, has a huge impact on your experience of life. I decided to, to stop watching the news. And, and that was really a, a turning point for me. Cause I just, I focused on what I wanted to focus. This is before, you know, people are spending two, three, four, five hours a day on social media, right? Like I was, I was way more in control of what I was feeding my mind. And same thing with him. He talked about, he just, he didn't pay attention to it. He didn't have any previous experience with the recession and it allowed him to just be bolder and to not pay attention to the noise and just to believe in what he, he wanted to achieve and just believed with certainty that it was going to happen because he just placed his attention and his energy on what he believed was going to happen and what he could create and what he could build. And I think that's a huge advantage for uh, people right now to, you know, this might sound ridiculous, but to kind of be a little naive as to what's going on. Because at the end of the day, it's like we place our attention and energy on what we can control. And if we allow our, our inputs, you know, we have five inputs every day, what we read, what we watch, what we listen to, our environment and people that we surround ourselves with. If we allow our inputs to be how, you know, the economy is going to be horrible for the next few years about, you know, everybody's dying, getting sick, like all that's doing is taking your, your energy away from what you can control. And so I, I think you know, just one step, I'm kind of rambling here, but like, one step to help you get through this is maybe, you know, I stopped watching the news three, three weeks ago, four weeks ago now, because I was, I was going paying attention to it. I was watching the, the press conferences and trying to figure out what was going on. And it's like, you know what, right now, what can I do? I don't go anywhere. I am staying home every day. I wash my hands multiple times a day. I'm, you know, getting groceries and that's it. 
And that's all I can, what else can I really focus on right now besides doing that and like eating foods that are boosting my immune system, right? Mm -hmm. There's nothing else that I need to be paying attention to. Whether the, the, whether, you know, and just whether, you know, there's 10,000 new cases in LA County or 20,000 or 30,000 or 40,000 has no, I can't do anything different than from what I'm doing right now. And I have to place my attention and energy there. So cutting out the news or only paying attention to what you need to focus on can have a dramatic impact on your emotional state right now. Mm -hmm. uh, this really was, it was easy for me to, I'm trying to figure out the right way to describe it. Basically where I, when I stopped doing this, I read in a book uh, by Darren Hardy, he used to be the publisher, I think he still is, publisher of success. He's a was. I don't think he is anymore. He was the publisher. That's yeah. yeah. But uh, in his book, I believe the compound effect, he talked about when he stopped watching the news and the way he described it. And this was grand. This was back in probably like 2008, somewhere around there, 2008, 2009. The way that he described it was until, and this is, I've keep in, keep in mind this after 9-11, right? He said, until Al Qaeda is knocking on my front door, whatever is going on with that situation is not affecting my daily life and I can't control anything about it. I'm not going to pay attention to it. I'm not going to place my energy there. And that's why I'm cutting out the news. And that was his way to make it relevant during that time. And that really spoke to me. It was, it was super relevant. And I think that's, is, uh, you know, really relevant to what's going on right now, you know, unless, yeah. unless, Corona is sitting outside my front door, which it might be, but like, unless it is, I'm not going to pay attention to it. Well, I think, you know, you and I started again, before we hit record, just talking about business and the different uh, grants and programs that are available and loans that are available. And so I look at all of this as being well-informed is always the goal. So for example, you know, like you said, uh, knowing what programs are available for small businesses is important to you. So you're gonna look that stuff up and you're gonna research it. You're gonna be targeted with it. Um, if, if you do get sick, then, then looking up what has been put out about signs of and signs and symptoms of, of coronavirus and what to look for and when to reach out to a doctor is important. Um, if, uh, if you are in a place, if an individual is in a place where they can't pay their mortgage or their rent, go look that up or whatever it might be. To me, it's no different than checking the sports page. I'm a Syracuse basketball fan. I'm going to look up Syracuse scores. I don't really care about any other team's scores. And that might sound like a flippant uh, example, but for me, that's how I have, taking control of the news and my inputs because uh, I've started reading the newspaper. And even now, I don't watch the press conferences. I don't turn on, you know, CNN or Fox or any of that, or even local news, because you're 100% right. It feeds the negativity bias. And the first couple weeks of this, by watching the news, I found myself going down a path of worst case scenario all the time. And in reality, it wasn't serving or helping me. And for me, the newspaper is a way to, I choose what I, I choose what I'm reading. It's, it keeps me informed. And it's kind of the sense of like, you know, plan for the worst, hope for the best. And, and so I just think, I think you're hundred percent right with, um, 
you know, I had read in the book, How Full Is Your Bucket? Uh, if you've ever read that before, it talks about we all have an energy bucket that we go through the day with. And there's yeah. things that are draining from the bucket and there's things we can do to fill it. It comes from the theory of margins, which back when that was published, said you have 20,000 interactions on a daily basis that are either a filler or a drain from your bucket. That's yeah. your inputs, things you're hearing, things people say to you, um, um, bumps on the shoulder while you're walking down the street. And that number was years ago. You know, yeah. I, that, that number might have been written before, you know, smartphones and social media right. and, and the constant news cycle. So you think of all these things that are either adding to or taking from your energy tank on a daily basis. You have to take control of it now more than ever, because like you said, it's not being naive to the current situation. It's it's taking in information that you need to serve you and the people you love and care about and not burdening yourself with, with other things. It doesn't mean you're unaware and naive to situations out there. And if it's not, if it's not something that you're going to contribute to serve, be a part of the solution for, um, then, then, then why just allow it to bog you down and be something you complain about? You're right. We, we talk about, that's how we frame up positivity. It's not about, uh, just being positive. It's about being solution oriented. And so if you hear this problem, it's great. Do you have a, I think, I think it's, I remember reading that same Darren Hardy book and it's like, uh, it's the kind of the sense of like, let's say you do see some crazy thing in the news and you decide you want to be a part of the solution for it. Then great. That's actually turning it into a positive for you. But if you see this crazy thing in the news and it just weighs you down and you just complain to your friends about it and you wouldn't believe what's going on, then that's, that's not allowing you to be a solution for anything. And it's just this constant fear-based mentality. So it is taking control of your, your inputs is, or is just so important right now more than ever. I think that's a super important point that you made about reading the newspaper. From the standpoint that when you are reading the newspaper, you are the one in control of what information you're going to digest. If you're just turning on the 10 o'clock news, now you're allowing whatever they decide to literally program you with. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, when you, when you're reading the newspaper, you're more in control of it. And I think that's a great, great. Well, even to the point of like now, even the physical, so I used to actually read the physical newspaper and it's far cheaper to get the digital version. So I still get the digital version, but I, I, you can still on a tablet, you can still read it as if it's a newspaper. So you're yeah. not going through the app because the other side of that is when you read like the Apple news app, they're pumping you articles that are going to catch your attention, that are going to grab you. There's ads next to it. And you'll end up going down a rabbit hole of just reading the same articles over and over and over again, which in which is basically confirmation bias. So if you read five articles that say the same thing, of course it's true. So the reality of a newspaper, whether it's digital or, or physical, but you are, you are going through it, is again, if you want to read the business section, you read it. If you want to skip the weather, skip it. If you want to read the sports, you read it. And you, again, can choose. I know I'm reiterating what I already said, but I do. This is like a kick that I think is really an important nuance. Um, you are literally choosing uh, the article. And typically, you know, if I read the Baltimore Sun, which is what I read, um, they're only going to have one article about a particular thing. That's it. So I'm not going to read. I can read it and then have my own opinion about it, too. So I don't read it and then read 
eight other people's opinions about it. And then that impacts how I believe. So it really is kind of going old school with, with the news for me has been really helpful. Totally agree. So that's a, a total cool tangent that I think is relevant. <laughs> super relevant. Um, yeah. So I think uh, I, let's, uh, I'd love to just, uh, we could probably go on and on and on, um, but I'll keep it concise. Um, my final question is always, do you have what I call a 50 cups of coffee story? It's a story where, you know, the concept of 50 cups of coffee is you're challenging yourself once a week to connect with someone, to engage with someone, to sit down and grab coffee, grab a meal, call them on the phone. Um, and it doesn't have to be super profound. It doesn't have to be because you called this organization, you got to go to the Coach K conference. It doesn't have to be because you sat down to coffee with someone in Milwaukee. That's how you ended up working with, you know, Steph Curry Academy or something like that. It doesn't have to be that. It can, but it can also just be, um, you know, uh, the, the, earlier podcast I did today with the coach from Delaware, his story was going to soccer games growing up with his dad is, has led to a lifelong love of soccer for him. And he never appreciated that till he was older, but it wasn't about soccer. It was about the connection with his dad. So I run through those examples to give you time to think, but also maybe spark some ideas of just what is a, a story for you. That is a, a, the idea is to encourage some people to lean into the idea of connection of hearing hearing your story and it might inspire them to connect with other people well i'm going to bring this i'm going to tell a story that i don't think is really relevant or it's not that it's not relevant but it's not probably not typical of how people answer this perfect but i so my 50 cups of coffee story starts with myself uh, back in 2013, I, back in 2013, I had a, I'm kind of, getting kind of emotional because I haven't thought about this for a long time. Back in 2013, I, I was running a preseason training camp for a pro team in Indonesia. And on the way back, I decided to stay in LA for about four or five days. This is September of 2013. And I never, for, I don't even, I, I had like a, a friend of mine that was living here and um, I was really going to hang out with him a little bit and then a buddy in San Diego. And I just really, I, I had no plans really. I just, for whatever reason, I wanted to stay in LA for, for a few days. And I ended up going to Santa Monica I think because of a yoga studio that I wanted to go to, I ended up going to Santa Monica quite a bit. And I will never forget. There was one day when I was in, it was called Palisades park and it overlooks there. It's on a bluff that overlooks the PCH Pacific coast highway and then the beach and then into the Pacific ocean. And there was a moment when I just had this overwhelming sense of, and I was by myself, had this overwhelming sense of peace in that home. And I knew that for whatever reason that I was supposed to be there someday. And I'll get to the connection piece in a second, but a year, about a year later, I just, 
I made the decision that I was going to move. I was going to go. I, I had a, I had put that a picture of that space of that park overlooking the Pacific ocean and to the beach into the, um, from that park as a screensaver on my phone, on my iPad and on my desktop. So I was looking at it every single day. And what I didn't realize at the time was that what that moment in the park did for me was, yes, I felt connected to that place, but I also when I felt connected to that place, I felt connected and connected at, and at home within myself. Maybe for the first time in my life, and because I, I found that place of connection and home in myself, I have found that connection and place in a community and with friends and relationships and experiences that I didn't know that I could ever have. And it all started with me following my intuition and trusting that place within myself where I felt connected to myself enough to just trust that something beautiful was going to unfold. And that was where I was supposed to be in my life. And that's my, my 50 cups of coffee story and connection is connecting to myself first into my own heart first and intuition first so that I could put myself in a place where I shedded so much of the, the bullshit that I was carrying around in my life by stepping into new opportunities and experiences that allowed me to do that and in turn connect and develop relationships with some of the most uh, inspiring, creative, entrepreneurial, loving people that I've ever met in my life. Yeah. Mike, that's beautiful. That is a beautiful, perfect story uh, for this, for this, for this idea. And uh, uh, it's very much what you have consistently shared throughout this entire conversation of, of taking care of yourself, connecting with yourself uh, first is, is the most selfless thing you can do because then it allows you to connect and engage and serve others. You can't serve others until you serve yourself. Um, so not only have you shared that, but you embodied that with that story. So thank you. That was awesome. Um, thanks, man. thanks for doing this. I really appreciate having you on, especially during this time. Absolutely, man. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to the 50 Cups of Coffee podcast. We are in the home stretch of season one. Only a handful of episodes left before we take our holiday break. At this point, we are being listened to in almost every state in the U.S. and nine countries. And we are approaching 10,000 downloads by the end of the season. I am so appreciative of the support and excitement in season one. And if you would like to help us continue to grow, please, 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 please take one minute to hit subscribe wherever you are listening, rate the show, and leave us a short review. It doesn't have to always be a rave review. I feel like people, unless they can give it five stars and say, this is the best thing I've ever listened to, don't want to leave a review. Or if you absolutely hate it, people don't want to leave a review. And and I'd ask you, uh, leave a review. It, it, it is how podcasts 
podcast work it is how we grow it doesn't have to be a five-star review however you feel about the show or whatever you want to say about the show it means the world to me if you've listened so far through through 26 episodes taking one minute to just just subscribe leave a rating review would be tremendously helpful our theme music for this show and art is by matisse soy until next time stay connected